I hate Northridge. How are you guys? Check it out. I have my own Michigan cottage now. I'm so excited about it. I don't know if you can see the sign up there. It literally has my name on it. It says Pete's Paradise. Wouldn't that make like an awesome like beach bar name, Pete's Paradise? That was a test to see if you even knew what a beach bar was. Some of you failed. It'd make a great like Pete's Paradise, like a great Bible study house on the beach. That's what I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. That's what it'd be. Well, my name is Pete, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. We're so glad that you guys are here. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online. We're so glad that you're with us as well. We are a couple weeks into our summer series now, which is going to be packed full of uh, just some amazing uh, different speakers that will be coming up. If you haven't caught on yet to the theme of this year's summer series, uh, it's really the Old Testament. So we're kind of going back to the Old Testament, looking back at some of these incredible stories. If you grew up in church, a lot of these stories will be familiar to you. If you didn't, maybe they're new. Either way, my encouragement to you is to kind of lean in, listen to it with fresh ears, all right? Even though maybe some of these stories are really familiar, you think you know where we're going with it, just kind of lean into it, listen to it, absorb it, experience it like it's the first time that you've ever heard it because I think there's some incredible really important lessons in here that can impact our life if we'll take these truths uh, and we'll take these stories and apply them to our own life. Today we're talking about a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Jonah and again if you grew up in church pretty familiar story pretty familiar character but this story is about so much more than a dude and a big fish all right this story is my story and I'm betting that this story is, for a good number of you, your story as well. And there's so much that we can learn from this story. We're going to start in Jonah chapter 1. This is verse 1. This is like the very beginning where it all kind of starts. And it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So the idea here, right from the very beginning, is we, in the first two verses, we learn a lot. We learn the main character, the main setting. We learn the whole mission for this character. And it's all about a guy by the name of Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet. And a prophet, they were kind of like the bad boys of religion back then. Uh, they were, you know, always a little bit on the kind of outside. They were unconventional. And a prophet's main job was to receive a message from God and then deliver it. And not always, but often what was the case was uh, there would be some region that's gotten off track. And culturally speaking, they're going in the wrong direction. And so God would give a message to a prophet, which would be like a warning. And they would go to this region, they'd go to this country, and they'd go with this message of like, hey, God says, if you guys keep going down this road, it's going to bring apart, you know, devastation and all kinds of pain for your region, for your culture, for your country. And so prophets weren't the most popular people because think about it. I mean, nobody likes somebody kind of dropping into their life and saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to change or it's going to bring about pain for your life, right? Those aren't the kind of people you want to be best friends with, right? They're not the most enjoyable people to be around. And so prophets were always kind of on the outskirts. So that's Jonah. And God, it says, the word comes to Jonah. We don't know how that happened. We don't know how God spoke to Jonah with this message. We don't know 
Was it a burning bush like he spoke to Moses? Was it a telegram? Did he drop in his DMs? We have no idea how this happens, but we're told that Joshua receives this word from the Lord. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I've got a message for you to give him. The problem for Jonah was he didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which is a great world power at this time. Uh, it's kind of a dark place. And quite frankly, for, the, for God's people, the people of Israel, it's enemy number one, right? The, the, the Ninevites have taken advantage of the people of God over and over and over. And so Jonah gets this word and he's like, really? Like, you want me to go to Nineveh? And I don't know if you've ever been there. My guess is you have. Where you sensed God was prompting you to do something you didn't want to do, right? Maybe he was prompting you to step out in faith in an area of your life that scared you to death and you're just like, ah, the risk is too much. Or maybe God prompted you that you needed to stop something in your life that you were tolerating, but you didn't want to give it up. And you just didn't like whatever prompt, whatever direction, whatever commandment, whatever it was, you, you didn't like what you sensed God was telling you to do. That, that's where Jonah's at, right? And Usually when this happens, what we do, all of us do this, is we start to bargain a little bit, right? Like, God, seriously, you really, you really want me to do this? Like, Jonah's like, God, like Nineveh, like of all the places, you want me to go to Nineveh? Like, these are the people who invaded our land. These are the people who've laid siege on us. These are the people who have deported us over and over and over. These are the people who have made our people's lives a living hell over and over and over again. And you want me to go to them with a message of mercy? You want me to go to them and offer them a second chance? And honestly, Jonah's like, I can't do it. I don't play like that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. And so we read in verse three, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now that's a, another city, town, village that's in the direct opposite direction of where he's supposed to go, which is Nineveh, right? So that's where he says, I'm heading there. So he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he's like, I can't do it. I, I'm running. I'm out, right? I cannot do this for these people. Now, the question that I think a lot of us ask when we read this story is like, can he do that? Like, can God give you a message and tell you to do something? And then you're just like, nope, not doing it. I'm running. Can he do that? Yeah, he can. He did. And I have too. And so have some of you, right? You felt God prompting you to do something, but you just, for whatever reason, didn't do it. Like, isn't it true that some of you have been like sitting in a service here before, you've been watching online before, and you just felt like, God wanted you to do something. Maybe it was serving. Like, and, and you sense, like, God wanted you to get more involved here at Northridge. By the way, it takes thousands of volunteers to make this church what this church is and to live out its mission. It's just thousands of people serving. And you, maybe you felt that prompt. I need to get more involved. I should serve. And maybe even they give you a challenge in the service. And they say something like, hey, text the word serve to 31616. 
Don't do that right now because I don't know what your phone might explode. I don't know if that's even a real thing, but you did it. And you text the word service, 316-16, and you get this message back. And then maybe like a week later, somebody from the church reached out to you like, hey, congratulations. We're glad you want to serve. We'd like to help you get plugged in. But then you just were like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't really have the time for that. And so you just never replied to the email. Right? Maybe you felt God prompting you to get involved with a small group here or go to Discover Northridge or maybe it was deeper than that. Maybe you sensed God was calling you to let go of your grip on money and uh, to be more generous, but just kind of ignored it and you just continued your normal patterns. Maybe you sensed God telling you you shouldn't be involved in a relationship you're involved in, but you're so afraid to walk away from it because what if nobody else comes along? Right? Maybe you sense God calling you to forgive somebody in your life who's hurt you. And you know it would bring so much freedom to your life, but there's something inside of you. You so identify with that hurt, it's kind of become your identity. And you're afraid if you let go of that resentment, if you let go of that hurt, you wouldn't even know who you are anymore. So instead of being obedient to it, you just continue to nurse the resentment. I don't know what it is, but what I know more than likely at some point in your life, God has prompted you to do something that you've just said, I'm not going to do it. And you ran. That's what Jonah does. He runs. And according to verse 3, the very first thing he decides to do when he's running is that he's going to get on a boat. And here's where things start to break down in the story and you start to wonder if Jonah's really a stable individual. Like, if, if you're running from God, is your next strategic move to get on a boat and sail out to the middle of the ocean? Like that's a very vulnerable, if I'm running from God in that kind of scenario, I'm not gonna find a cave or a bunker or something like that. I'm not gonna get on a boat and go out into the middle of the water, but that's what he does. And this is true of almost everybody that's running. When you're running from God, you make choices that just don't make sense. And it's so easy, isn't it? We see this in other people. You've seen this with friends. You've seen this with family members. You've seen them running from God and you've seen the choices they're making and you're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Right, how dumb can you be? Like, did you really think that was gonna work out? And the answer is yes. We do think that it's gonna work out. We think somehow, even though we've seen thousands of other people like wreck their lives over certain decisions, that somehow maybe it'll work out for us. Maybe we'll get away with it. Have you ever, I promise, I'm not like texting somebody right now, but uh, I saw this on my phone. I pulled this up this morning. It's like, you ever read those stories of like the dumb things criminals do? I love those stories. Like, it, it, they're so great. So here's a few. This is from Hickory, North Carolina. Uh, amateur thief invaded a captain's galley restaurant recently, picked a cash register, uh, stole it, but didn't notice a little detail. A trail of white cash register tape hanging from the machine. The police followed it 50 yards to his apartment, finding him cracking open the register. You're like, are you, are you serious? All right, here's another one. Uh, this is Aaron Morrison. I probably shouldn't have said his name. But Mr. Morrison goes into a liquor store, steals a bottle of vodka from the liquor store. He had the nerve to flirt with the shop clerk and gave her his name and number <laughs> on his way out. It did not take Sherlock Holmes to crack that case. This is another great one. This is in Jenkins, Kentucky. I am noticing a theme that these are almost all in the South. 
I can say that because I live there. This is uh, Michael Baker. I'll throw him under the bus since I already threw the other dude under the bus. Uh, this guy's 17, uh, so this one won't surprise you. But what did he do? Uh, he siphoned gas from a local police car. Oh, it gets better. Then he poses next to it with a smile and he's using a finger. I don't think he's saying the police are number one in this picture here. Uh, and then the kid posted on Facebook and it goes viral and he gets arrested two days later. We read stories like this and we're just like, what? Like, seriously? Like, did you think that you were going to get away with that? And the answer is yes. They did think they were going to get away with it. When Jonah gets on that boat to run away from God, he has absolutely convinced himself that this is going to work out. And here's the thing we all have to know that falling into sin is almost always accompanied by the illusion that I won't get caught. That this won't impact my life negatively. This won't hurt the people around me. Right? This is just, just me. Nobody's going to get hurt in this. Right? We almost always convince ourselves we won't get caught or it won't hurt us. People have affairs for years and think somehow it's not going to impact their marriage. We read about employees that embezzle tens of thousands of dollars. Absolutely convinced they're never going to get caught. That somebody's not actually one day going to do the math and follow that math right back to them. Addicts who live complete double lives that think that they can handle all of it and their marriage is going to be fine and their parenting is going to be fine and that everything is just going to work out. You, you, you hear about these stories and you're like, did they think that wasn't going to impact them? Yes. And we've all fallen into that trap. You think you can get away right now without forgiving that person in your life and it's somehow not going to impact your heart, but it will. You think you can keep looking at porn and it's somehow not going to impact the intimacy in your marriage, but it will. You think that you can continue to harbor jealousy in your life towards people close to you and that somehow you're still going to have healthy, fruitful relationships, but you won't, right? So here's what happens in this story. There's a terrible storm that blows up. He gets on this boat, right? As soon as he gets on this boat, everything starts to go bad. Like, it's just a disaster. Terrible storm, life-threatening storm blows up that they're all caught in the middle of. And they start to connect the dots, right? The people on the boat, they're like, this cruise was going great until this dude got on it. And now it's, everything's a disaster. And so they start to ask him questions. Like, who are you? What's your name? What family are you from? What region are you from? Who's your God? And they start to get his story. And they're like, okay, yeah, it's definitely him. Like, like it's, it's definitely this dude right here. He's, he's running from the God that he claims to follow. And that's why all this is happening. So then they take him and they throw him overboard, right? Now this is, reminds me of that verse in Proverbs that talks about there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death, right? Sometimes we think about that as like literal physical death, but I think it's much broader than that. It's talking about the human capacity for self-deception, right? That we all have this inside of us. We've all at times in our life completely deceived ourselves into thinking this is going to work out, but it leads to death. Sometimes that's the death of a career. Sometimes that's the death of a marriage. Sometimes that's the death of a dream, right? Sometimes that's the death of your personal peace, right? But you convince yourself this is going to work out, but in the end, 
it leads to death. So he's thrown overboard. We're not really told what's going on in Jonah's mind in this moment, other than has a lot of fear because in the middle of the ocean, now he's not even on a boat. He's barely surviving. But I can almost guarantee you what's going on in his mind at this point because he hadn't hit rock bottom yet. His eyes have not been opened yet. So my guess is Jonah in that moment is mad and bitter at God and the people on the boat. It's their fault, right? It's their fault. Can you believe those idiots threw me overboard? Can you believe that God allowed me to sail into the storm? See, he's in that moment, and this happens to all of us when we're running from God, where we're not connecting the dots between cause and effect. We did this, and we brought this upon us. A lot of us aren't there when we're running. We're going to continue to blame everybody around us for the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, I have a, a two-year-old named Pepper, and she's just gotten into like, she's loving that, like she has this little uh, red kickball that she loves, that she like just, that girl's got a leg on her. She can kick the snot out of a little ball like that, and she breaks all kinds of stuff in her house, and, but she loves it. And, and the other day she had that red ball, and she put it over her head, and she threw it as hard as she could at the wall. And you know what happened next? it bounces back and it hits her right in the face, right? Because she hadn't actually learned to catch. She can throw, but she can't catch. So she throws it, bounces back, hits her right in the face. She looks right at me and she starts to cry. She's like, da-da, like it was my fault. Like I had somehow caused that ball to bounce off the wall and hit her in the face. Like she hasn't connected the dots between cause and effect. And I'm like, that's so us, right? We want to have control over the ball, life. And we want to take it in whatever direction we want to take it in. And then when cause and effect happens and that ball bounces back and smacks us in the face, we want to blame God. We're going to blame other people in our life when the reality is we're the ones that threw the ball, but we're not connecting the dots. See, here's the deal. God has created every one of us as human beings with the capacity to choose. And when you choose to go against God's plan, when you choose evil, it is going to bring pain into your life. And not only your life, it's going to bring pain into the people's lives around you. They're going to be impacted. When your life explodes, they're going to be impacted by that shrapnel. And I don't say that to induce guilt on you. Because those of you that are running right now, the last thing you need is more guilt. I'm not here to try to guilt you, but to remind you, because I've seen this in my own life. You think you're the only one that's going to be impacted by it, but you're not. That shrapnel when your life blows up is going to impact everybody around you. God gives you that capacity to choose. And when you choose evil, you choose to go against his plan for your life, it's going to bring pain into your life and other people's life. But the flip side of that is also true. When you choose to do good, it's going to bring health and healing to you and to the people around you. And part of wisdom is recognizing that while some opportunities look very captivating, underneath the surface, they're actually just waiting to take you captive. See, wisdom recognizes that there's this inseparable relationship between cause and effect. And that's not just a natural phenomenon. That is a spiritual reality. But, hear me, this story is about so much more than if you go against God's plan for your life, you're going to bring hell in your life. It's, it's about so much more than that, right? This actually is a beautiful story, and it all starts to change here in verse 17. So this is after, um, 
you know, he's been thrown overboard. And we read in verse 17, he's fighting for his life. And it says, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, here's where I'm going to start to lose some of you. Because you're like, what? You really want me to believe that God sent a fish to swallow Jonah and he's in that fish for three days and three nights. Listen, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I have no problem believing this at all. I have no, I've just seen God act in so many miraculous ways throughout my life, in my own life, in other people's lives. Like, I, I have no problem believing in God's capacity to do this, right, at all. Um, but I know for some of you, this kind of trip you up, but don't let this be the focus. Oh, by the way, I do have a video to show you that could possibly change your mind. And I talked to a young lady before the service who's way into paddleboarding. So I'm apologizing in advance that you're gonna see this video, but watch these two paddleboarders. They're gonna be right here. No. Did you see that? I'll, we'll show it to you again. Watch right in here. This whale right here. What? Just so you know, they were okay. He spit them out apparently. But can you imagine? Like you're just, just doing a little deal out there paddleboarding, praying, reading some scripture, whatever you do on your paddleboard. And a big wet, like, okay. So I'm getting off course, but I have no problem. I have no problem believing this. But here's the point that I don't want you to miss. I grew up in church, right? And, um, I don't know if the story was actually told to me this way or if it was my own baggage and my own trauma that interpreted it this way. But growing up, I felt like they always positioned this story as, hey, you better do what God's asking you to do because if you don't, he's going to send a big fish into your life to swallow you whole. And that, that's kind of like, I was like, oh, okay, all right, I got it. And then they would like show a scene from Jaws or something like that. And you're like, I got it. I got the point. I'm scared to death. Or I'll do what God asked me to do. But if you look at verse 17, the language here is, but the Lord provided, right? This was a rescue attempt. He wasn't attacking Jonah. It's a rescue. The Lord provided this fish. This was not punishment. This was provision. What you have to understand about this story about Jonah, this story is all about God's mercy. It's all about God's mercy. It's about God's mercy towards the Ninevites who he doesn't want to have to judge. And so he's sending a message of mercy, a second chance to them. It's a story about God coming alongside his own servant, Jonah, who has an area of his life that he doesn't want to surrender to, right? But he's going to give Jonah a second chance. This story is all about second chances, and here's what I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else today, if you're running from God, you need to know this. It's very important. The entire Bible, from the first book of Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is saying to you that in your life, when God and all the people in your life and all the wisdom in your life said, don't do it, don't buy that, don't borrow that, don't date that, certainly don't marry that, don't do this, don't go that direction, go, don't go down that, but you did it anyway. That the very God who you turned your back on will be there to meet you with mercy when you're ready. 
Amen? That's the whole story. That's what I want you to get more than anything else for those of you that are running right now. The very God that you've turned your back on, when you're ready, when you're ready to surrender, when you're ready to say enough, I'm tired of this pain, I'm tired of the hurt I've caused the people around me. I convinced myself this was gonna work out and it didn't. When you're ready to turn around, the God of the universe is gonna meet you with love and with mercy. Now, make no mistake about it, we gotta be honest about this part of the story. God allows Jonah to feel some pain. He allows him to feel the natural consequences Right, of his not fun being thrown overboard, being stuck out in the ocean in a storm, not fun at all. God allows him to experience that. And God will allow you to experience the natural consequences of some of the decisions you make while, while you're running. But you have to understand the heart behind that. I read a phrase this week that I don't, I gotta unpack it more because it, it just kind of jumped out at me, but the phrase was wisely wounded. I was like, that's, that's kind of cool. Wisely, I, I, I think, I actually visualize a tattoo with that. Wisely wounded. And I think the idea, the concept behind it is kind of like um, if you've ever had to go in for surgery before, right? The surgeon is going to make a wound, right? In order to fix you, in order to heal, in order to put you back together, there's probably going to be some kind of incision. There's going to be a wound. You are wisely wounded in that moment. There's pain that comes along with that, but there's a purpose behind that pain. Now, it's also possible to go through life with all kinds of pain and not connect the dots and not be wisely wounded, just be wounded. But the point here is to begin to understand that the pain that you're experiencing actually has a purpose, right? And, and what is the purpose behind that? See, I think a lot of people get real confused. God will allow you to experience consequences, not to pay you back, but to bring you back. And there's a big difference. God doesn't need to pay you back, right? There's not this vendetta between him and you. He's not trying to make your life miserable. You're doing a great job of that on your own, right? And I've done a great job of that on my own. He, he didn't have to cause that, right? He's not trying to pay me back, but he allows me to experience the pain of my choices and the consequences of my choices to bring me back. It's like, it's the exact opposite of me. Like I have this, uh, I have this cat. I don't really like the cat, his name's Titan. And uh, my son found him as a stray and like begged to like allow us to bring this cat in. So I'm like, all right, so fine. We bring the cat in. Like this, there's a lot of issues with this cat. First of all, we live in a weird neighborhood where they have all these different rules and they have a leash law that not only applies to dogs, but it also applies to cats. Have you ever tried to put a cat on a leash? It does not go well, at least with this cat. I tried it. I'm like, all right, for two weeks, we're gonna do this. We're gonna train this cat on a leash. I've never seen anything closer to a living Satan in my life than when you try to put a leash on a cat, they freak out, right? And so like, all right, the leash doesn't work. And this cat has, this cat obeys no rules whatsoever. It's very hard to train a cat, I think. And so like the only thing that I have found that works is a water bottle, a little spray bottle. And whenever that cat's doing something the cat shouldn't do, I just give it a little squirt. And don't like, don't turn me into humane society or anything like that. Actually do, maybe they will come and take my cat away. That would be great. So turn me in. I'll give you my address and everything. So I, I, 
I actually kind of made a game out of it. It's kind of fun. Like, so I'm looking for an opportunity to catch this cat doing something he shouldn't do. And just a little squirt. And he takes off running. It's really entertaining. Some of you picture God that way. That he's like following you around, waiting for you to mess up. So you can be like, gotcha. Right? That's not God's heart. That's not his intention. It never has been. Right? God is going to allow you to reap some of the consequences of the choices you make when you're running from him. But it's not to pay you back. It's always to bring you back. That is his heart. Now, our tendency, because of our human shame, is almost always to keep running. It's like, even in it true when you're running and you start to realize that this isn't working out the way you thought it was going to work out, isn't it true that often you just double down? Like, I've gone this far. I've hurt this many people. I'm experiencing this level of pain. What's a little bit more? And our shame kind of drives us down into that pit. That's why we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over because we don't think we're worthy. We don't think we're valuable. And so we just keep running. We hide. It's what all throughout Scripture people did, right? Adam and Eve at the very beginning. They disobey God. What do they do? They go find a tree in the garden and they hide behind it. And they're like, maybe, maybe God won't notice Maybe he won't see us here. Maybe what we did won't actually impact our lives or like the fellowship that we have with our Heavenly Father. They hid. And it's shame. It's shame. Shame is what does that to me. It does it to you. And my prayer all week has just been that there'd be a handful of you that are running who would finally just say, enough. I'm tired of this shame. I'm tired of this pain, and I'm going to step out from behind the tree. I'm going to get off the boat. I'm going to stop running, and I'm finally just going to surrender. Because when you do that, everything changes. Everything. Look how it plays out for Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. This is after the whale incident. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Remember I told you this whole story is a story about second chances. It comes to him a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. The same exact thing that God told him on the front end of this story. He's gone through all this and he just comes back and is like, Jonah, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you had enough running? Have you had enough pain? Have you seen how this all, are you ready? Because I'd love, love to give you a second chance. I'd love to see you live out the life that I've called you to. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. It required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city who proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which is another way of symbolic of them repenting. It was symbolic of them saying, you know what? As a culture, we've gotten way off track. This is not the direction that God wanted us to go in. We're sorry. We want to follow the one true God. See, when Jonah finally decides to stop running, not only does God bring healing in his life, God uses Jonah to bring healing to thousands of people. But it only happened when he stopped running. See, up to this point, I think that Jonah thought that the storm and getting thrown overboard, that all that was an obstacle to the path that he was supposed to be on. Because he thought he wanted to go to Tarshish, remember? The direct opposite direction of Nineveh. That's where he's headed. And he thinks the storm and the fish and all that is an obstacle to where he wants to get. But he finally realizes it wasn't an obstacle, it was actually an opportunity. 
And I think for some of you, what you view as an obstacle is not an obstacle at all. It's an opportunity. The obstacle actually is the path. And God's going to use that. If you can surrender to him, he's going to use it in your life in amazing ways. That's what happens when we stop running. We're met by a merciful God. And every one of us that's in a season of running, right, we need that. So two questions for you to wrap up. First question is this, are you running? Are you running? And the second question is kind of there just in case you're having trouble answering the first question. And it's this, are you willing to ask, God, is there something that you're asking me to do that I'm not doing? Is there something, God, that you're asking me to do that I'm not doing, that I've procrastinated on, or maybe I just flat out said, nope, I'm not doing it, I'm not going there, I'm not giving that up, I'm not stepping on faith there. Like, could you just have, like, just this moment of complete honesty with yourself right now? I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and let's take just, just a minute. Like, I think this question is important enough to take a minute to really kind of reach deep down inside of our soul and ask it. So again, just as everyone's sitting there with your head bowed, your eyes closed, are you willing to ask God, God, is there an area of my life right now where you're asking me to do something and I've been unwilling up to this point to do it? And it might be a relationship thing. It might be a finance thing. It might be an occupational thing. It might be a personal integrity thing. I have no idea. Maybe it's something he's wanting you to do. Maybe it's something he's wanting you to walk away from. Maybe it's something he's wanting you to stay in the middle of that you don't want to stay in the middle of. I have no idea. But would you just ask God right now, God, is there anything in my life that you're asking me to do that I've been unwilling to do? And then maybe it's just as simple right now as you just praying in your heart and saying something like this, God, I'm sorry. I've gone my way instead of your way. And I convinced myself that somehow this was all gonna work out. I convinced myself that somehow I knew more about life than you. And I've tried it my way. And I'm starting to see right now it's a disaster. And God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, obviously, for the pain that I'm experiencing in my own life, but I'm also sorry for the pain that I'm causing in the people's lives around me. And I'm tired of running. And I want to come home. And I want to be met with your mercy and your grace and your purpose. And I want to live the life that you've called me to live. I want to surrender. And I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do. I want to live out your purpose for my life. I want to be obedient to you because I know that you've given me the capacity to choose and I've made some choices that were wrong. But I want to make the right choice now and I want to go your way. And I believe in faith, God, not only will you heal me and my pain, but you're also going to heal and restore the pain that I've caused other people. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful today because we have all had seasons of running. We are so grateful 
that you're a God that doesn't give up on us, but you give us second chances and third chances and fourth chances that ultimately when we're willing to surrender and come home to you, God, that you give us a purpose. And all of a sudden that pain that we experience now has a purpose. There's a reason behind it. So God, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our church. I'm grateful for the healing that's happening right now for some individuals who have been running for a long time, who are finally today willing to say no more, no more. I'm gonna be obedient to what it is you asked me to do. So God, over these next few minutes, as we hear this just beautiful song, I pray that you will use it as kind of a salve almost that will heal some of our wounds, that you'll use it to remind us of your grace and mercy, that you'll use it to melt away the shame that we carry and that it'll give us the strength to step out from behind the tree, to step off the boat, to stop the running and to finally come home to you. For it's in your holy and precious name that we pray.